You know, there are many products um, that are designed to imitate things, to imitate the real thing. There is plastic decking that makes it look like real wood. Uh, then there's vinyl flooring that can appear to be a ceramic tile. You can purchase fake fur, fake diamonds, fake opals, fake, fake jewelry. You can also purchase yourself a fake nose and other bits. Um, you can purchase and get fake things, hair pieces as well. And the purpose behind all of these items is fairly obvious. Equally, there are many expressions of imitation Christianity. We can try to pass off as the real thing. Uh, good wishes can be mistaken for prayer. Success can be misconstrued as spiritual achievement. Inspirational bumper stickers and symbols can be seen as evangelism. Excellent music can cover for authentic worship of the heart. Humorous or emotional stories can pass off for inspired preaching. Christian cliches can be handed out as biblical wisdom. An attractive personality can be mistaken for a spirit-filled life. So what is true, practical religion? If you're taking notes this morning, that is the title of this message, True Practical Religion. So friends, I've done a bit of research for us, and I wanted to investigate how we currently, as Australians, understand religion today, and let me share with you what I have come up with. Kids say religion is all about rules. Rule, uh, religion teaches, uh, things, teaches us how to be kind to one another. Religion is something about God. This may help us understand better what kids think. One day there was a young boy and he was walking along the beach. And as he did, he spotted an elderly woman who was laying on the beach under umbrella on the towel. And he walked over to her and he asked her, um, Ma'am, are you a Christian? She shook her head and said yes. He said, Do you read your Bible? She shook her head and said yes. Do you pray every day? And she shook her head and said yes. You go to church? Mm-hmm. Well, can you hold my wallet while I go for a swim? Kids think that if you're a Christian, you can be trusted, you're a good person. But what about adults? What do adults think of religion in Australia? Well, they say that it's fake. Religion shows mankind's ignorance. Religion cures problems. Religion, you'll like this one, some of, some of you may like this one. Religion, religion is an establishment dedicated to an ideology that transcends the normal senses. Religion is a security blanket for the weak, some say. Some say that religion is the enemy of mankind. Religions, some say that religion is the scapegoat for all of the problems in the world. There were many other choice words and descriptions of religion, but sadly, I think what it reveals is that religion and religious people have hurt and disappointed and left people cynical and unsure that they want anything to do with it. 
The Oxford Dictionary says this, religion is a particular system of faith and worship. So for Christians, Muslim, Buddhists, and Hindus, it's a particular system of faith and worship. Human recognition of superhuman controlling power of a personal God or gods entitled to obedience and worship. The Oxford Dictionary says that it's a thing that one is devoted to or bound to. It's a life under monastic conditions. How should we understand what religion is? I like what my friend and pastor in training, Riley Spring, said. He defines religion this way. He says religion can be thought of as a set of answers to the big questions of life a set of rituals and practice, practices to reinforce these answers. So what are, the big an- what are the big questions to life? Where did we come from? Where will we go? Why is there pain and suffering? How can we know God? And then there are these rituals and practices for our beliefs. So we pray we go to church, we go to life group or to SG college, or we go to the temple or we wear a red dot. We pray seven times a day. We love one another. These are, this is a helpful way to understand what religion is. It's a set of answers to the big questions of life, a set of rituals and practices to reinforce these answers. Now listen to what James's words say. If anyone thinks that he is religious, and then he goes on to say his religion is worthless. This is the only time this adjective religious is found in the New Testament. But the corresponding noun religion appears four other times in the New Testament. And the instances that these words are used outside of James's letter are referring to the strictness of Jewish practices, the practices of the Jewish sect, as well as worshiping angels. And they're used in a negative sense. But James is using here religion in a positive sense. You see, for many of us, we may tend to understand the word religion is perhaps with words like religiousness or piety or even religiosity. But here, when you look at the Greek word that James uses, it represents the expression of outward worship. So, for example, carrying your Bible, attending church, singing along, giving money, those are all outward expressions of worship. Good expressions, right expressions, but as we know, using the right words does not make you a Christian, just as carrying a Bible doesn't make you a Christian. There is a serious warning here from Pastor James. Hearing, good. Doing, good. Alarm. Some can be deceived. Verse 26, if anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Some can be deceived. You see, doing is not a bad thing in and of itself, but the practice of just doing can delude believers with a deceptively comfortable sense of religiosity. 
So you can walk the talk, walk the walk and talk the talk, but you can still be deceived. And that's what James is saying. Now, I recently watched a video clip and it was called, I am not ashamed of the gospel. In these video clips, what it is, is it's of church members who are actually stating, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And it's various individuals telling their own personal stories. And in this interview, this particular interview, there was, a, there was someone who was regularly attending church and they called themselves a Christian. They were also part of a theater company and they had been a part of this theater company for many years. Well, one day they were offered a role to play in this. Uh, 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 they were offered a role in a play, and this person didn't feel comfortable with the role that they were offered to play. And so, they felt the reason they were uncomfortable is because they felt it would be a compromise of their faith. And so, they worked up enough courage to go to the director and explain, "Hey, thank you very much for considering me for this part, but I actually can't do it. And the reason I can't do it is because I'm a Christian." Well, then came the shocking response of this person's life. The company, the theater director, laughed out loud and said. <laughs> I never would have called, thought you were a Christian. I would have never known that you were a Christian. I actually thought you were one of us. If religion is a word that expresses specific ways in which a heart relationship to God is expressed in our lives, here James is warning, we can be deceived. You see, this person carried a Bible, this person attended church, this person gave to the church, but this person didn't understand true, practical religion. So let's look at what true, practical religion is not. So my first point is, what true religion is not. In verse 26, we see, But the one, uh, sorry, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue. A tongue unbridled, our words will reflect if that is true practical religion. I find it interesting that the first thing that James highlights is our words, our tongue. Did you know That mistakes of the tongue have destroyed more people, ruined more marriages, and cost more businessmen their jobs and their futures than any kind of mistake. The truth is, though, James is not calling us not to speak. He's calling us to bridled speak. Now, over in chapter 3, James compares the tongue to a, a powerful rearing horse a horse that will take off on a wild ride if the reins are not held tightly. And his point is, there are people who would consider themselves religious, proper in their worship, but having galloping tongues. I don't know about you, but as I consider what James is writing, it's a terrifying statement. An out-of-control tongue suggests a bogus religion a a bogus religious devotion, no matter how well one's devotion is carried out. There's a guy by the name of Lehman Strauss who says this, a true test 
of a man's religion is not his ability to speak, but rather his ability to bridle his tongue. A true test of a man's religion is not his ability to speak, but rather his ability to bridle his tongue. I think of Matthew 12, 33 and 34. Jesus is saying, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruits. And he's talking to the Pharisees and he says, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Lord Jesus himself explained that in no uncertain terms, in a heated exchange with the Pharisees, he explained this. He's revealing that the tongue will inevitably reveal what is on the inside. That which is within will ultimately come forth. Think with me for a moment, brothers and sisters. What comes out of your mouth when you are tired? What comes out of your mouth when you are stressed? What comes out of your mouth when you are angry? What comes out of your mouth when things aren't going your way? There's a funny story of a preacher who was uh, at a working bee at his church, and he was carrying around a hammer, and he was hammering nails that had had gone loose, and there was one of the parishioners, one of the elderly parishioners, who was following the pastor very closely to the point of annoyance. And so finally the pastor said to him, why do you keep following me around? And the parishioner turned to him and said, well, because I want to hear what you say when you hit your thumb with the hammer. Now, I'm not encouraging you to, to take up that practice, but it is true that it's in those moments that you tru- truly see what's in a man's heart. The tongue comes out with many things. Sometimes it comes out with filth. The person on the video clip that I was telling you about before, the director of the theater company, was surprised at the confession of Christ because the speech that came out of this member's mouth was dirty jokes, sexual innuendos, innuendos, gossip, slander. He'd never known or caught on that this person was in fact a follower of Christ. Paul exhorts, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. The tongue can not only be filth, but it can speak lies. Paul exhorts, therefore each of you must must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Filth, gossip. Kent Hughes says, it isn't so much that things, uh, sorry, it isn't so much the things that go on in one ear and out the other that hurt as the things that go in one ear get all mixed up and then slip out of the mouth. It isn't so much the things that go in one ear and out the other that hurt as the things that go in one ear 
get all mixed up, and then slip out of the mouth. Gossip is so hurtful. Lying is so hurtful. Filth is unhelpful. Now, all of these sins spew from the unbridled tongue. But what James's metaphor points to most is an uncontrolled, slanderous tongue. Brother or sister, do you have a critical, judgmental, or carping tongue? I have. I had friends who would say to me, I would love to be loved by you, but I would hate to be hated by you. You are very vicious. I'm not proud of that, and I'm so grateful that as the eyes of my heart and mind were open to what Jesus has called me to, I have received great forgiveness. My tongue has been very damaging. My tongue has been very destructive. Friends, outwardly religious people, most religious people will avoid filthy talk. They will avoid lying, but they fall very easily to slander. John Calvin said, when people shed their grosser sins, they are extremely vulnerable to contract this complaint. A man will steer away clear of adultery, of stealing, of drunkenness. In fact, he will be a shining light of outward religious observance and yet will revel in destroying the character of others under the pretext of zeal. But it is a lust for vilification. This explains, he writes, the bloated pharisaical pride that feeds indulgently on a general diet of smear, blaming, criticizing, censure. You know, sometimes this slander can be whispered. Sometimes it can just be inferred. Sometimes it can be shouted. But it always has a perverted religious base. It's a religious sin. Please understand, though, James does not mean that those who sometimes fall into this sin have a worthless religion, for all are guilty of this. What he is saying, though, is if you have a habitual, unbridled tongue, though your church attendance is perfect, you know the Bible, you can pray really well, and you give generously, you may be deceiving yourselves. And your religion is worthless if your tongue is unbridled. As I said to you before, I have found so much grace and forgiveness and mercy. I have taken time to listen to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to shine His light in my heart. I will share with you that I've had to humble myself privately and I've had to humble myself publicly to ask for forgiveness. And I can tell you each and every time he has poured out lavishly his forgiveness and grace. In fact, I remember that after I was given the book Cross-Centered Living by Mike Pasolich, I remember being in a fetal position crying. Aware that God loves me and he forgives me. And he will love me no more tomorrow 
than he does today, and he will love me no more today than he did yesterday, that when I confessed him as my Lord and Savior, he forgave me. And so, because I was a habitual liar and a slanderer and a gossip, I had to work very hard. And I will share with you, humbly, some of what I did. So I loved to talk about catching a fish that was this big when it was actually this big or no fish at all. And what I did was I went to my wife and I said to my wife, we were living in Torella at the time, and I said to her, I want to change in this. And so it started where I had to go back and tell her the truth about things that I just wanted her to be impressed with me about. And so I began to tell her, this isn't true. I fabricated that. It wasn't that big. It wasn't that big. It was this big. And I received nothing but forgiveness and grace. I got, I got okay with that. But then it came time to being honest at work in the workplace and being able to say to my boss, actually, that's not truth. Every time, Christian or non-Christian, I received grace. He forgives. He heals and he restores. It is important, my friends, that we don't have unbridled tongues. It's not true practical religion. What's scary, though, Sometimes we can feel the Holy Spirit convicting us and challenging us and prompting us and we push it aside, we excuse it, and what we're doing is we're practicing self-deception. True practical religion is not being self-deceived. Brendan last week helped us understand That to be deceived means to be blinded to our true spiritual state. And self-deception is where we hear the word and we don't act on the word. And I think he reminded us that this happens astonishingly regularly. With astonishing regularity is what he said. And then he gave up this quote from C.J. Mahaney and I wanted to put it before you again. Self-deception is the most subtle form of deception and probably the most serious form of deception. The most difficult form of deception to perceive is not when someone else has deceived you, but when you have deceived yourself. Hear the warning from the pastor. Hear the warning from Pastor James. Self-deception is incredibly difficult to perceive because it is so subtle. How easy it is to begin a conversation and our tongue with our tongue and begin talking. And you may even have a small prompting of the Holy Spirit telling you to shut up. But you just keep talking and talking and talking. And before you know it, you've practiced hearing and not doing, which is in fact self-deception. How is that self-deception? Because you're convincing yourself that it's really okay. Well, what they said is true. I'm just passing on the facts. They did do that. 
I encourage you to take issue with your tongue. If love covers over a multitude of sins, how is your love for others as you talk about them? Take issue with it. Ask members of your life group, are my words bridled? Am I speaking in negative, critical ways? Do I, am I, is there a sense that I'm being quite judgmental or slanderous here? Friends, true practical religion is not having an unbridled tongue, slanderous, critical, judgmental, and it's practicing self-deception, hearing and not doing. So it's having, we don't have unbridled tongues and we don't practice self-deception. My second point is what true religion is. So the first one, what true religion is not, involves our mouth. What true religion is, it involves our hands and our heart. Look with me at verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Verse 27 reveals two things that have to do with our hands and our hearts. Now, James brings up orphans and widows. These are the most helpless people in Jewish society. Their distress, literally pressure, came from their desperate need of food and clothing. And so just to be clear, this is James' way of representing everyone, all people who are in need. But friends, religious observance, no matter how perfectly observed, is empty absolutely empty if there is no concern for the needy. Listen to God's words. Listen to these words from Isaiah. I want to read these words to you from Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 17. What, this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing with them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourself. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's case. That is God's heart. What do we need to learn from these words, friends? True religion Religion that God accepts cannot exist from the caring for the helpless, such as orphans and widows in their distress. It cannot exist apart from caring for
for those people. So true religion is to care for the oppressed and the helpless. Now, who are they for us? Did you know I did a little bit of research here on this as well? Do you know that currently Australia offers safety to 13,750 refugees each year? And yet research shows that we have the ability to open our arms to more. There's actually a petition to take 30,000 annually. Now, before we get uncomfortable, I want you to think of Isaiah's words. What is God's heart? What is God's heart? Consider signing the petition and raising the annual refugees that are accepted into Australia to 30,000 perhaps. What is God's heart for refugees? Orphans. The most recent statistics from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare for 2016 show that as of the 30th of June 2015, there were 43,400 Australian children living in out-of-home care. Do you know of, do you know of people who are caring for those? How can you help? There is um, also a desperate need for more carers. In fact, there are, there's a requirement of 600, just in New South Wales, 660 new foster cares across New South Wales within 2016 and 2017 that they were hoping to find because there's a lack of people willing to help. There's a lack of people willing to help these kids, these vulnerable kids to a life And if we don't do this, it only opens them up to a life of abuse, of crime, and of death. God spoke through the prophet Isaiah and said, defend the cause of the fatherless. Are you able to do that in some way? What about for single moms or widows? In the 2016 census, it counted more than 6 million families in Australia on the census night up from over 5 million families in 2011. About 45% of these families were couples with children. 38% were couples without children. And 16 were single-parent families. 16% of all single-parent families, female single-parents make up 82%, and male single-parents make up 18%. There are people, there are neighbors, colleagues, friends, who are needing help. What about people who are bullied in the workplace? Do you stand up for them? What about at school? How are you helping your children think through bullying at school? What about those that are oppressed in marriages or in relationships? When we stop and we consider what Jesus says about the oppressed, when we take stock on his heart for them, we are called to use our hands. We're called to give our time, our resources, our labor. Is that not what Jesus did for us? Francis and Lisa Chan, um, they have written a book called You and Me Forever, and they're talking about marriage, and they have some videos that are attached to the book. And one of the videos that they showed is about how they have been helping their own children think through um, what it is to follow Christ and what it is to be his hands and feet. Now, Francis and Lisa Chan live um, near a project, and so what they've encouraged their girls to do, and there was a camera that followed them while they did this, but they're going over to this project, and they're knocking on people's doors, 
and you, they open the door. And these homes, these, the conditions that these people are living in are atrocious. It's, it's very sad. Dilapidated places, um, you know, probably rats and cockroaches running all over the place. But here are these old people, um, some people, drug addicts. But these two girls are going into these homes and they're saying, what can I do for you? Do you need me to get you, do you need anything from the, the, the chemist? Do you need to go anywhere? Do you need to mail a letter? Would you like a, to write a letter for somebody? It shows them actually singing to some of the people, some of the old people. They're on breathing machines. All they're doing is knocking on doors and being Jesus. Now the mom and dad talk about how the girls have taken it far beyond what they wanted and they're inviting these people back to their house for dinner and, <laughs> and Lisa's praying over the food that the food will multiply because she doesn't have more. But they're just being Jesus. What is your heart for the helpless? What is your heart for the oppressed? There are so many things, my friends, that we can do locally there are so many things that we can do. There's a CAPS money, uh, money course for pe- Christians Against Poverty. Uh, we are starting that up. If you, can, if you have a heart for people who are f- struggling with debt, perhaps you join the CAPS team. Talk to Christina Williams after the service. There's mainly music. Women in, who've moved into the area who don't have family, don't have friends. They're trying to connect. Join the mainly music team or ask about how you can be connecting with mainly music moms. There's the SG Fitness. Again, people are lonely. Go to SG Fitness. There's the thing called the dish that serves meals out of Hornsby. Um, They serve meals to the homeless people. Uh, My family and I, we've looked at helping them. They won't use us because I've got two younger kids and and that sort of stuff, but they are looking for volunteers to come and help them. We're looking for a way to do something as a family, but they're serving meals for homeless people, uh, to homeless people. There's a shelter in the area that's for battered women. They're looking for people who would go and assist battered women. Um, And the the home is obviously under secrecy. Nobody knows where it is. But, I mean, if you're interested, I can connect you to the people. And if you want to go stay the night there or help some of these women out, I'd be interested in connecting us that we are helping. We've got ESL as well that we're trying to start that puts us in contact with internationals. I think there's a book called Honest Evangelism that Brendan's been pushing, uh, and it's by Rico Tice. And he, you know, in chapter five, he talks about just being interested. He talked about a pastor who, who just acted interested in people. Are there people that you just, you, they might not dress nice, they might not live in the same neighborhood, but there's still something interesting about them. They're still made in God's image. There's still something that we can learn. There's a way that we can serve. There's a way that we can show Jesus to these people. But are you interested? Do you care? Because we can be Jesus' hands and feet. The Apostle John put it this in this unforgettable way. He wrote, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother in need but has no pity on him... How can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. We're called to care for the needy. And friends, that's just not supporting social programs or through the hands of others. It's us personally. We are to be involved in their distress. The pressures that are squeezing them in their circumstances. Pressures like illness. 
Pressures like broken relationships. Pressures like unemployment. Pressures like family tensions. True practical religion reaches out to people in their needs. And I want to tell you, I so thank God that I'm a part of a church family where that is exhibited often. Thank you for the way that you have given to yourself. You have inspired me and the pastors here at Sovereign Grace. Thank you for the way that you continue to do what Romans 12.1 talks about. Present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. Worship that pleases God involves throwing ourselves on the altar and before the needy world in service. May we grow more in this. Would we be a church that impacts our community and people would notice if we were to leave the area? But friends, I want to encourage you, please be on guard. Well, I don't have any more time. I don't have time to do this. You've got time for recreation. You've got time to catch up on social visits. You've got time. I want you to imagine yourselves standing before Almighty God on that day. Imagine it because it's going to happen. One day, my friends, we are going to stand before our Creator and our Maker one day. Imagine it. Imagine turning to your friend or your, your wife or your children and being able to go, See? I told you it was real. It was worth it. It was worth denying ourselves. It was worth denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following him. I told you it was real. It's real. One day we are going to stand before our creator and our king. This is not home. But we're called to love and to serve and to be light and salt. True religion involves us using our hands. But be on guard also of partiality. And in and, and James chapter 2, uh, James is going to warn these little church plants that are going on, these little home churches, about partiality of the rich. Oh, it's so easy to be nice to the oh, a rich person coming. Come on, clear the way. Oh, sorry, get up, move over. We've got to be on our guard against doing that. But James says acceptable religion is keeping oneself unstained from the world as well. There's one more evidence of what true religion is, and I got ahead of myself, but it involves our hearts. That was our hands. Now we want to talk about true religion that involves our hearts. James says acceptable religion is keeping oneself unstained from the world. The world that we have been called to live in is polluted, is it not? Moral meanings have been changing. Homosexuality is gay. Reproductive cho- or same sex. Um, reproductive, re- uh, reproductive choice disguises the murder of unborn children. Affair lightens the blow of adultery. Lying is just telling stories. Stealing is borrowing permanently. And now what we see is Isaiah's lament being lived out right before our very eyes. Evil is called good, and good evil, and light is darkness, and darkness is light. That is the time we're now living. How are we keeping our hearts unstained? I want you to listen to this story. 
early in his ministry, Dr. Babcock, who was the distinguished pastor of the Brick Presbyterian Church in New York. And he was approached by a physician who was a member of his congregation. The physician, a good friend of Dr. Babcock, was concerned about the health of his pastor, who had been working very hard and clearly needed relaxation. Handing Dr. Babcock some theater tickets, he said, take these. You need the recreation of going to this play. His pastor looked at them, and seeing that they were tickets to a play of a kind he could not conscientiously attend, said kindly, thank you, but I'm sorry, I can't take them. I can't go. Why not, the physician asked. You're tired, and you need entertainment. Then Dr. Babcock replied somewhat in this way, you're right, I am tired, and I do need recreation, but doctor, it's this way. You're a physician. You're a surgeon, in fact. And when you operate, you scrub your hands meticulously until you are antiseptically clean. You wouldn't dare operate with dirty hands. Brother, I'm a servant of Christ. I deal with precious human souls. And I wouldn't dare do my work with a dirty life. Brothers and sisters, I ask you, how much more necessary do we need today to keep from being polluted by this world? Are you guarding your heart? And if so, how? Are you putting good things before your eyes? Are you thinking about what is pure and lovely and good? Friends, we need to guard our hearts. We need to protect our souls. James is calling us, Pastor James is calling us to an action. He's calling us to a true, practical religion. And it has to do with our hearts, it has to do with our hands, and it has to do with our mouth. You know, I've been thinking a lot about James, the brother of Jesus, a pastor. He's the lead pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He must see and know what's happening in Jerusalem at that time. He must be considering these churches that he's writing to, these small house churches. And he must see what's going on. And as I was thinking, so Jesus has died. He's ascended. This is about 16 years later. And he's beginning to write these churches. I don't know if you've ever written for somebody's funeral or you've thought about what you, how you want to honor someone. But I'm thinking, here's James, Jesus' brother, half-brother. I wrote to Jesse this week, and I was telling him, like, my mind is just exploding. What would it have been like for James to have that epiphany? Oh, my word, that was my brother that could calm a storm with his hands. That was God. It, uh, my half-brother was like God in the flesh. And, and, and like, that was my brother who's, who's Lord of all creation. My big half-brother, he, he's the Savior of the world? He calls us to himself and to a 
to live out a practical, true religion has to do with our mouths. What are we saying? Read what Jesus has said. Study the words of Jesus. Read through the Gospels, those red letters. Read them. Think about them. What about how, what he did with his hands? Oh, he was for the oppressed, for the widows, for the orphans. Does that reflect you? What about his heart? He got up early to spend time with his heavenly father, and he only did and said what his father did. True practical religion, brothers and sisters, involves our hands, our words, our hearts, just like Jesus. So, what do we do? What if our tongues are unbridled? What if we are being self-deceived? I tell you, run, run, run to the cross and cry out for forgiveness. Make it right if you need to make it right. Repentance is a beautiful thing. It's uncomfortable and fear can grip our hearts. But if you need to make something right with a brother or sister, don't let pride stop you. Humble yourselves. Because in actual fact, you're humbling yourself before Almighty God. Ask for forgiveness. Jesus died for your sins. And he tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whom the Son sets free, they are free indeed. Amen. He sets us free. If you're sitting here and you're feeling bad, unfit to be a Christian, doomed, I'm not any of those things, that's called condemnation. Identify it for what it is and preach to yourself. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus Has he purchased you? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Then, brother, sister, don't allow condemnation to grip your soul. That's not of God. That's the enemy lying to you. You are forgiven. There is therefore now no condemnation for for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I promise you this. (laughs) There is hope for change. And the reason that there is hope for change is because Jesus died and he was buried and he rose again and he's coming back. Oh, won't that be glory? Won't that be glory? And he washes us white as snow and we who were once his enemies are now seated at his table. He forgives us and he enables us to seek reconciliation with one another. Now, what if you're stirred by seeing what you're called to do with your hands and your heart? what you need to do to guard your heart, what you need to do as a call to action. Well, I would encourage you, involve the community of saints. Talk to your life group members. Hey, I'm thinking about this. Involve one another. Ask one another to pray. Can you do this with me? Invite brothers and sisters to walk with you as you are seeking to use your hands and to guard your heart. It's exciting to see what God is already stirring in some of us as a church. And it's actually, do, it's actually inspiring. It's actually motivating. Oh, friends, true practical religion involves our words, our hands, and our heart. And he enables us to authentically live out true practical religion that is not worthless. And it's for his glory. Amen? Let me pray for us. 
Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege of being able to do this this morning. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me. Lord, this is true. Your word is true. You give grace. You bring forgiveness. You restore. You make all things new. Father, thank you that you have called us to a true, practical religion. And we ask for your help to live this out because you are with us. You enable us. You are great. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.